we can become great at doing the the things that we do well, the things that are, we focus on. Like I'm, I think our audience is great at selling liberty. I think we have yeah. been amazing at doing that. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. You start to ask questions that pique his interest and get him to feel like, okay, this guy's actually got something that maybe can help me out. And then in your asking of questions and trying to uncover the real problems, build that natural trust. I know I went in the monologue there, man. (laughs) Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Friday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us. Yes, I am your humble host. And by the way, you get to hear me again because uh, you heard me last uh, episode here on Thursday, Chris G. He was busy, so we didn't have a marketing solo, but you did get to have a one-on-one with yours truly. And we talked about how do you become that trusted advisor? Hint, hint, less is more. Want to learn more? Go back and listen to yesterday's uh, less than 10 minutes episode, I think it was. So with that being said, on to today's show. And today's show, we are having an amazing guest, one Dr. Murray Sabrin. Now, Dr. Sabrin's coming on the program to talk about, what's this? The Universal Medical Care from Conception to End of Life. It's a new book he just wrote. And if you're one of our libertarian, conservative, or Republican listeners, you might be a little skeptical. Don't worry. You're, all your questions will be answered. Just stand by, I promise. So with that being said, onto the show, Dr. Murray Sabrin here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you, Dr. Sabrin, and we're going to be talking about your brand new book today. I'm so excited. It is Universal Medical Care from Conception to End of Life. Now, right off the bat, and we were talking beforehand, your average person hears this and they go, hmm, this sounds like an interesting topic for a libertarian-leaning podcast, but Dr. Sabrin, you did something very sneaky in the way you, you titled your book because you're appealing now to an entirely different audience who's going to be getting maybe not what they bargained for. But before we get there, let's introduce you to The Brian Nichols Show. Who are you and what got you looking into healthcare policy of all things? Well, last year I retired after a 35-year career as a professor of finance in the Annisville School of Business at Rampo College. And uh, before that, I worked at the American Institute for Economic Research for a bit and uh, worked in commercial real estate in northern New Jersey. So I have a background in finance, even though my PhD is in economic geography on the... Um, Geographic aspects of inflation. Murray Rothbard was an outside member of my uh, dissertation committee uh, while I was studying at Rutgers. And I'm only one of two people in the history of the world who's uh, had uh, Rothbard as a member of a uh, dissertation committee. So uh, I started my career as a New York public school teacher. And I wrote in 1995, the book was published, Tax Free 2000, How to Create a Tax-Free World that would uh, put responsibility on people to generate their income and spend it as they see fit and have the government take a minimalist role, uh, uh, either a la the Constitution, but without taxation. In other words, have a have an association of individuals and the government uh, based upon fees and other things, or just privatize everything. That would be another option. In other words, a, a totally um, non-governmental approach to a, to a functioning society. And then two years ago, my book on the Federal Reserve was published, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. It causes inflation, recession, bubbles, and enriches the 1%. 
And of course, we've seen that happen since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913. And so my, this book is my third book. Uh, I have another book coming out next month called Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle, an Entrepreneur Survival Guide. And then I'm, I'm beginning to write my next book that will be published next year, and that's on medical insurance and the workplace. So since I retired uh, a, a little over a year ago, I've written two books, starting my third book. And uh, hopefully the, this book, particularly on medical care, will have an impact because it is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Medical costs take up nearly 20% of the American people's income. And of course, the way it's structured today, it's a hybrid system of uh, taxpayer-funded programs like Medicare and Medicaid, third-party payers paid by the uh, employers with insurance companies. And one of the themes of the book is that we're overinsured, we're um, oh, uh, not uh, well, uh, uh, don't have good nutrition, and therefore it's causing all these problems in medical care. And I, what I do in the book is something that I don't think anyone else has done. I differenti differentiate healthcare from medical care. Healthcare is the responsibility of that person you look at in the mirror every morning. You are responsible for your healthcare, not the president, whoever that may be, not the governor of your state, not the mayor, not Dr. Fauci, not the head of the CDC. You are responsible for your healthcare. And I learned that lesson a long time ago. So I've been doing what uh, makes, I think, for a, a healthy life, eating right, getting exercise, taking the proper supplements, uh, hydrating. And, and having uh, hopefully good genes that will uh, give me a long life. Uh, both my parents made it to the late 80s and uh, they didn't have the greatest nutrition. They barely survived World War II uh, in, in their native Poland. So uh, given what I learned about nutrition and healthcare and uh, medicine, uh, why is a finance professor writing a book? Well, ultimately it comes down to who pays for medical care. And why people think medical care is a right is beyond me since uh, I became U.S. citizen in 1959. I raised my right hand to defend the Constitution, and I couldn't find anything in the Constitution then or since then that the federal government is responsible for our medical costs. There's nothing in the Constitution that authorized the federal government to be involved in one of the most personal, intimate relationships we have, the doctor-patient relationship. Well, I think uh, we're, we're recording here today on Thursday, and this episode's airing tomorrow being Friday. so. Everybody just heard how in in depth Joe Biden really wants to be with your personal medical decisions. But we'll we'll talk about that later. But going back to something you discussed and I was writing down some notes here, um, the idea that we are overinsured and undernutrition. That's so profound. And I actually I tweeted this morning because I went back and re-listened to your appearance over on Tom Woods. And you had said that as well. The healthcare versus medical care. I started out uh, back when I graduated from college, I got into PR and marketing uh, for physical therapy and fitness facilities. And you do see that there is that very fine line of people who they look for just the medical answer versus taking almost preventative steps in that proactive approach to trying to take care of yourself. And we see this abdication almost of personal responsibility to not just other people, but to this nanny state government. And now for your person who's listening to the program and they first heard universal medical care, what? Now they're starting to see it's coming together. This isn't a top-down approach to medical care, but rather we're going to go ahead and remove the top of this entire entity and start focusing bottom up. 
the patient-doctor relationship. So, Dr. Saber, let's dig into that to start mm-hmm. off. I know that's one of the, uh, the overlying themes of your book is going back to this relationship with the actual doctor, not this faceless organization that you get assigned a doctor and they see you once a year and then pat you in the back and have you on your way. Yeah. Well, th- this is, I think, the sad reality of uh, the evolution of medical care since when I was a youngster back in the 1950s. And when my parents took me to a doctor, and I think my first visit to a doctor, I believe, was in 1955. Why do I remember 1955? Because that summer I broke my arm in the Catskill Mountains when we were on vacation for the summer. And I came back in a, in a cast. And um, no, I, I, in fact, the cast was taken off before I came back to New York City. And I visited the uh, my uh family's pediatrician. My younger brother w- was seeing him. And so I went to see the doctor and it was $5 for the visit. And then it went up to $7 and then $10 because of inflation and so on and so forth. But the point is that was direct payment. There was no insurance uh, for my parents to pay for doctor's visits. And if we needed an antibiotic, we went to the local pharmacy and we paid a few dollars for an antibiotic uh, prescription. So there was no insurance for that. My father had a major operation in 1961 when I was uh, graduating uh, junior high school. And I recall uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield took care of the bills. I don't remember any, my parents saying this is going to break the, their uh, bank, so to speak, their savings for this operation. And from what I recall, it was a fairly modestly priced operation in one of the top hospitals in Manhattan. And so that's my framework of what medicine was all about. And then that fate day on July 30th, 1965, when President Johnson signed into law of Medicare and Medicaid. And ever since then, medical care has been distorted with uh, HMOs, health maintenance organizations. And the way I look at medical care, it should be a four-legged stool. One is uh, direct primary care, which is growing across the country where doctors uh, have a fairly low number of patients. The typical doctor in an uh, typical uh, partnership or a corporate uh, physician setting usually has about 2,000 patients in direct primary care. They usually have between 800 and 1,000. So they can give you more time in the the office to diagnose your problem and and to uh, recommend the course of treatment. And you have access to the doctor virtually 24-7. You pay a monthly fee. It's very modest. And there's no insurance involved. You, You pay that. So that would be the first aspect of everyone getting a direct primary care physician. And if you can't afford that, then you have the, uh, the stores like CVS and Walmart. And uh, I think uh, Walgreens are establishing clinics in their, uh, in their uh, uh, stores all across the country. So there are thousands and thousands of stores that can provide primary care to people who don't have the ability to pay for that 80 to $100 a month per person or $150, $200 per family which is pretty modest when you think about all the benefits that you're getting. Plus, they do provide uh, testing at a very modest cost also, you, which you can pay out of pocket. So you don't need insurance for that. Then uh, for people who don't have any means, in other words, people who are on Medicaid today, the uh, which costs the taxpayer $600 billion a year, how do we get rid of that $600 billion price tag for Medicaid? And that is what I've been involved in uh, in northern New Jersey when I lived there. We're now in uh, southwest Florida is the uh, volunteers in medicine model where uh, medical professionals get together, open up a facility, rely on voluntary contributions and provide medical care at no cost to uh, to uh, people in the community who can't afford it. This was started in Hilton Head, South Carolina in the mid 1990s by that Jack McConnell. And uh, he's, he, he uh, passed away a couple of years ago, and it, uh, they're thriving all across the country. 
So we have that model for low-income folks who really can't afford direct primary care. And so you have that model for helping people who are on Medicaid today. What would be the next thing? I, I would uh, say we have to have these super health savings accounts where you put money in tax-free, they grow tax-free, you take it out tax-free to pay for the big expenses. Um, and, and that could also pay for catastrophic insurance policies. So you have all the infrastructure in place. All we need is a transition, including uh, Medicare, uh, transitioning people out of Medicare, especially wealthy people who can afford to buy their own policies uh, without uh, subsidies by working folks. And uh, young people can start putting money away in a, in a super H, uh, health savings account that will be part of their a retirement package. So when they do retire, they do have the funds to to purchase uh, any type of medical care they need, including um, uh, long-term care. They have policies for that as well. So it's all about cash payment. It's all about using insurance sparingly for the big ticket items, such as a heart operation or a long-term cancer treatment. But in a free market, those prices would come down. And the best example of this is a, is a story I heard at the Free Market Medical Association conference last month in uh, Texas when I was speaking to um, uh, a corporate executive whose company decided to do direct payment. And they got a truck to come to their uh, company parking lot to do MRIs. And the charge was $400 per MRI. That same truck went down the street to the hospital and the hospital was charging $6,000 for the same MRI. This Goodness. shows you how overcharged the medical care uh, is in the, in the United States. And the co-founder of the Free Market Medical Association, Dr. Keith Smith, he has the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. They're a cash-only uh, um, operation. And uh, they provide uh, quality medical care at a fraction of the price of local hospitals. I'll give you an example. One of the uh, doctors I interviewed for my book on universal medical care is a direct primary care physician in Fort Myers, Florida. I called her up, we had a lengthy conversation, and she told me about a patient who didn't have insurance. He needed an operation. The local hospital quoted him, I think, a price of $20,000. She got him in touch with the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. He called them up, and the whole operation, including transportation and staying in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma for the uh, operation was $5,000, which he paid out of pocket. So yeah. it shows you... That so it shows you the free market drives down prices for consumers and provides quality care. And that's just one example of what's happening across this country where doctors and companies, I'm sorry, uh, uh, doctors and uh, patients and uh, companies are using the free market to deliver quality care at a fraction of the price that insurance companies are paying hospitals and doctors for through the current traditional third party payer system. It, that's just astonishing to hear that number because that, that's just, it, you can't even think to like just have that that bill come in just just because. And this goes back to I think another part of your book that you raise up is we have this weird relationship between our employer and our medical insurance. Now it, it's right. entirely on purpose, but we see that too often that becomes now the way that a lot of people perceive what the problem with healthcare is. It's not a matter of these costs, but you know it's just. Well, I don't have the right job. I need to get a better job with better health insurance. But to your point, it's the fact that the health insurance is so overinsured that's actually causing a lot of these problems to begin with. Well, this is this is the sad situation. We know that this the, the linking of medical insurance with the uh, work started 
big time during World War II when companies were prevented from raising wages because of wage price control. So what they offered is a, is a non-tax benefit called medical insurance. And so that began the linkage of medical insurance with the workplace. No other insurance is linked to the workplace. We don't get auto insurance for the workplace. We don't get property casualty, homeowners insurance, <laughs> life insurance to the workplace. That's all done in the private market and it works very effectively and efficiently. No one's complaining about the lack of uh, insurance uh, in those areas. And so we need to go back to that model where we only need insurance for catastrophic losses and we pay out of, out of pocket, which we reduce the cost of uh, insurance dramatically i mean for a family of four the, the typical policy i think is twenty thousand dollars and uh that is a lot of money especially if you're a healthy family you're not getting any benefit from that so wouldn't it be better to let's say pay five thousand dollars for a catastrophic policy and pocket the fifteen thousand put it in the health savings account have it grow and use that money over time to uh to pay your bills and now you have a direct relationship with the doctor in terms of uh, buyer and seller. In other words, using the, the, the approach that we use for other goods and services, healthcare is no more a right than, than, um, than, uh, cell phone service is a right. Uh, medical care is something that you contract somebody, a professional with in order to achieve a goal, which is better health, uh, optimal health. And so there's no reason to have, uh, insurance pay for that. And the, the other point that needs to be stressed is given that we now have the ability to see prices transparently, the internet sh uh, should allow every doctor, every surgeon, every hospital to post their prices without the nonsense of uh, uh, so-called posted prices, and that's not the real price. Have real prices posted so people can know what they will be charged when they go to a doctor or, or they need a procedure or they go into the hospital. And that would drive down prices probably 30, 40, 50, 60%, who knows? Let the market decide what the price will be for all these services that people want. And people have to determine what are they, what are these services uh, valued at? Because right now people don't care what, what the price is because they're not paying for it out of pocket, except for a copay, $15, $20, wherever it is. But uh, it's a sad situation that where this is the only area that I know in the economy where people have no idea what the price is of the service that they're uh, getting. It's insane because I know whenever I'm talking to friends, one of the first things they are looking for when they're going to a new place of business is the health insurance. They're, they're not even concerned about, you know, do they have access to like a gym, right? Or, or something like that. Or, you know, let, let's, and let's like turn the conversation towards this personal responsibility. Cause I think this is where we are lacking wholeheartedly because your average person has a, back to my point from earlier, really abdicated any sense of personal responsibility. They just want to be told, what to do and, and want to really have those big decisions in their life taken care of. But we really need to go back to fostering this approach of empowering people to mm -hmm. be the best versions of themselves. And that includes the best physical version of yourself. I mean, Dr. Sabrin, I used to weigh 385 pounds. And oh my goodness. I, I was a big boy. And um, I, I lost around 180 pounds over the span of about two years through just diet and exercise. But I did so because back when I, in, at the time I was around 17 or so, and I had a, a pediatrician who was a family doctor and, and she just looked me straight in the eyes and said, Brian, after 10 plus years of being your doctor, I need to tell you that if you don't lose weight, you're putting yourself on a very self-destructive path. Mm -hmm. And, and that hit me personally, because number one, it was my home doctor who I knew, and I've seen them for, for a decade at that point. 
So I knew that she was saying this out of a kindness of, of she genuinely cared. But number two, all of a sudden now it put the onus on me. It's not, you know, okay, well, when the time comes that something bad happens that, well, do I have money to help cover for this? But what can I do to help prevent this? And I think that's where we need to help change the conversation. We had to get people thinking that way. And I think part of it is leading by example, showing that, yes, you can do it. And then to show the other alternatives that are out yeah. there besides the uh, the traditional insurance way that we've had things. This is why I wrote the book, because where what I see happening in America is we're going down a road where the obesity levels are going through the roof. Uh, the diabetes uh, in, uh, incidence of diabetes is going through the roof. Heart disease is increasing dramatically. Uh, uh, the cancer rates, I think, are in pretty good shape of if I remember correctly, the data that I saw recently. But the point is, as the population ages, the baby boomers, my generation, if you're not in good shape by the time you retire, you're going to be on meds and seeing doctors for most of your retirement. And when I, uh, in the last years of my parents' life, uh, I went to visit them and one of their kitchen cabinets looked like a mini pharmacy. And that's the time I wish I'd gone to medical school instead of graduate school because I, I would try to figure out what are all these medications doing to them. Right. And, uh, and again, it's a sad situation where doctors are prescribing medication after medication after medication. And we don't know if they know exactly what's going on if you're going to see two, three doctors for different ailments. And so this is, uh, and that's why the pharmacist is so important to let people know what, what the uh, possible interactions are. But the point is, if you don't, let me give you an example. We just moved to Southwest Florida and finally got a hold of a uh, general practitioner. My wife and I visited him last week, and he was amazed that since we're both 74, uh, my wife is on some very minor medication, and I have one uh, 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 medication that I don't consider medication because it's a fish oil. And so uh, he was surprised that we're in such good shape for our age because I'm sure he sees patients our age who are probably on several medications and have trouble walking, have trouble this and trouble that. And so the point is, like an investment, it bears fruit over the long term. If you take care of yourself over the long term, you're going to be in good shape when it comes to your senior years. And that's one goal I had when I was growing up is that I want to be healthy in my senior years because if you have to go to the doctor constantly when, in, when you're in retirement, that means you really didn't do uh, the right thing during your uh, adult life in terms of eating right and getting exercise and uh, and uh, taking the proper supplements. So again, this comes down to personal responsibility. And unfortunately, given our collectivist status culture, People think that it's then it's not their responsibility to stay healthy. It's the doctor's responsibility to give them a pill to take care of whatever ailment they have. And that, I think, is a, a big mistake that a lot of people have made because, again, when you walk around um, the malls, when you uh, uh, walk around any uh, park or something, it's amazing how many young people are overweight and how many people in their middle years are 50, 100 pounds or more overweight and they can barely walk. And so uh, this is what's driving up a medical cost because they need a lot of medical attention in order to deal with their ailments. And so uh, because of insurance, th that those costs are spread across the communities so they don't feel the brunt of the uh, consequences of their own actions in terms of uh, behaviors that uh, led them to not have a, a, a healthy lifestyle. So again, 
this is not to criticize anybody, but to point out the reality of living, that if you don't take care of your body, and you're the person that's responsible for taking care of your body, and I applaud you, Brian, for taking care of your body to make sure that it's in good shape, because um, the, the projections are by 2030, which is not that far away, I think well over 50% of the American adults will be obese, and that has huge implications for medical costs down the future for Medicare and Medicaid. And so, uh, and of course, insurance costs. So we have to do something about changing the culture of the country where people take responsibility for their own well-being. And I mean, don't even get me started on the mental health aspect, because I can speak to when I was a 385 pound guy, my mental health wasn't the best because it's tough. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a different world when you are that overweight. So there's an entire side section of, of like healthcare in the mental health aspect that, you know, we could even open up an entire separate episode. But as we, we kind of go towards, you know, the, the tail end of the conversation, let's look at the alternative. And this is, this is the, the challenge I think we have as the free market proponents is that we have to now come in and essentially replace the incumbent vendor if we're going to go through that, yeah. that business word. Uh, so we have right now Medicare, Medicaid, and everybody's favorite, Obamacare. So what can we do to help show that these solutions not only are a viable alternative, but to actually start getting some things in place to, to almost make these old solutions kind of die off on their own? Yeah, I think the first thing that can be done is that everyone who is not on Medicare can start putting away money in a health savings account, given that we would need some change in legislation to make those uh, uh, contributions uh, uh, tax deductible, have the funds grow tax-free and, and, uh, and having them taken out tax-free. So I think we can start there. And that's why I'm trying to uh, reach out to as many talk show hosts like yourself and podcasters so people would read the book and see the detail that I put into this book in terms of what the transition would look like over the next five, 10 years, because it could be done pretty rapidly. The point is you need people to buy into the solution. And that's the difficult part. That's why I wrote the book. Here is the reason a free market universal medical care system would be beneficial to the patient and the doctor, particularly the patient, because the patient is the recipient of the service. And what do we know in business? Rule, there are two rules. One, the customer is always right. And rule two, see rule number one. That means doctors have to be uh, um, sensitive to what their patients need and want in order to get to optimal health. And they have to explain things to them. That's why I use traditional doctors. And I've been, uh, uh, I have a long-term friend, long-time friend who's a naturopath. And I see him for advice also. I recently spoke to him about uh, uh certain things that uh, we want to address in our family and he was uh, forthcoming and uh, available so there are ways of getting to where we want to be in terms of optimal health i don't know anyone who doesn't want optimal health the question exactly. is how do you how, how do you get there and of course a single payer government system is not the answer one of the doctors i interviewed for the book is a former canadian doctor who believed in the single payer government system in Canada, then he, when he started practicing in it, he said, this is not patient friendly. This is not patient oriented. It's all about meeting the budget of the, of the provinces. And so he's now practicing in the United States as a radiologist. And he said the Canadian system nearly killed his brother. And, um, and so therefore he is very skeptical of uh, the Canadian system. And he applauded me for writing this book as a blueprint. Remember blueprints are not the final, uh, 
final uh, say in a building. It has to be changed and adapted. So I think I've started a, a created a blueprint that we can at least discuss and debate in this country as to where we should be going in terms of medical care. Instead, the Biden administration is expanding Medicare, is expanding Medicaid, which is the wrong approach. What that means is the people will be more dependent upon the government. And one of the themes of the book is financial independence. I don't know any adult who grows up and says, I want to be financially dependent. <laughs> but but the point is we have a system where implicitly people are financially dependent on Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, which is a whole nother topic. But the point is, I've always stressed this in my writings for the past 40 years, we need to have a culture of financial independence. And we have the nonprofit sector to help people who can't help themselves or don't have enough income uh, in the free market. That's the beauty of America. The volunteer sector is uh, is one of the largest sectors in our economy, and I want to see it thrive and flourish. And um, and then uh, chapter one in the book talks about the uh, the welfare state and the nonprofit sector. And I have a whole chapter on the nonprofit sector. So all the things are are inter interrelated. The nonprofit sector is a free market approach to helping people who are in. Uh, situations where they don't have enough income to meet their needs. And that's been true throughout American history. The mutual aid societies before the Great Depression were thriving. And so I want to resurrect that uh, culture, that value in America. And this book, I, th I hope, can do that. And that's why I want all libertarians to buy not only one book, but buy several copies, especially the Kindle edition, which generates a lot of royalties for me, which will be used to support free market educational organizations like the Mises Institute and the Ron Paul Institute and uh, nonprofit health centers. And I support three of them in New Jersey. Now that we're in Florida, I hope to support some in Florida. So this book will give me hopefully the uh, resources to leverage th the value and the ideals of a free market system into, into medi medicine that will make this country a much better country for for the, for the 330 million Americans who, who want to have good medical care at affordable prices. So we have some action items because I'm a sales guy and I got to put the action items down. They are number one, folks. If you're interested in learning more about HSAs, I did an entire interview with Dean Clancy. He was, a, I think it was Bush Reagan. I forget. He was one of their top uh, policy advisors, but he's also a former VP of Freedom Works. He's uh, leading... HSAs for all. That's his big focus right now. I think he's working with Rand Paul in, in the Senate. So that's action item number one. Action item number two, tell the stories of people who have faced socialized or universal health care from a single payer system. Tell their stories. And, and I, I appreciate you bringing up your friend from Canada story because I think we need to tell more of those horror stories about what happens when you get what you want. And that is this single payer system. So that's number two. And then the final thing, Buy the book, buy this freaking book, Universal Medical Care from Conception to End of Life by Dr. Murray Sabrin. It is, I can't stress enough, so important for us to make sure, just like our friends over at the Sound Mind Creative Group who are doing their awesome docu-series, Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty, it's on us to make sure that we're effectively, and I would say in many cases, for the first time for people, setting the narrative and showing them how we can do this, that you don't need to have nanny state government hold your hand in order to live a healthy life, but rather you just take a little bit more time to TLC, tender love and care yourself, and focus on making yourself a better person 
think you're going to be in a better spot. So that being said, Dr. Murray Sabrin, with uh, with that, folks, obviously we want to make sure we can lead them to the book. I will include the link to the book in the show notes, but where can folks go ahead and follow you? They want to keep up the conversation. Well, what I would be doing, uh, since I'm starting to work on my next book, I won't be writing as much as I otherwise would on my blog, murraysabrin.com. I'll be posting all the great uh, interviews I've had. I had one with Ron Paul last week that's on my linked on my blog. And I just uh, hope that people realize that uh, ever since I decided uh, that libertarianism was the, w- uh, was the way to organize society back in the 1970s, I was hoping that there would be one libertarian book that would that would be a game changer for the country. I don't know if this is the one, but I'm hoping it is because uh, with the royalties that uh, the book can generate, I think we can leverage that to uh, get our message out. So hundreds and hundreds of uh, millions of Americans, which is over 300 million today, will understand that freedom and liberty are our birthright, that medical care is something we should strive for in the free market. So we, we the people, determine what medical care should be and, and how much it should cost because ultimately the consumer determines what the price is in a free market. People don't understand that. The, the politicians don't understand it. Most conventional economists don't understand it. And so by getting this book out into the general public, we can start a national conversation. One thing I'd love to do is debate Bernie Sanders, single-payer system, government a single-payer system individual or family that's the debate we should have in this country not how much uh medicare should expand or how much medicaid should expand but whether we should have a single-payer government system which is what he wants or a single-payer individual family system which is what free loving people want to have where we are in charge of not only our medical care but everything else in life so that we do have the blessings of liberty. We do have prosperity, sustainable prosperity, and we can all live in social harmony instead of this backbiting that's going on today because of uh, this this contentious issue with uh, COVID and the lockdowns and all the other things that's come about because of uh, top-down approach to medical care. Well, you said you're hoping this might be the libertarian book. Well, I know one Dr. Ron Paul gave it his seal of approval. So I dare say you're on the right path if uh, Dr. Paul thinks that this is, uh, in fact, the book. So with that being said, we will include all the links to not only the amazing universal medical care from conception to end of life in the show notes, but also all the links you can go ahead and follow all that Dr. Sabrin's going to be doing. But with that being said, Dr. Murray Sabrin, thank you for joining us today on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian. This was a great opportunity, and I really appreciate you uh, giving me the time to explain how we can get from here to closer to a free market economy in in the near future. All righty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Dr. Murray Sabrin. What an awesome conversation. If you want to go ahead and make sure you get the book, I will include the link in the show notes. All you have to do, go to your little podcast catcher, click the artwork for The Brian Nichols Show. It will bring you right to the website as well as to our episodes page. Click on the episode. You can not only find Dr. Sabrin's links, you also find a transcript for the show as well as today's sponsor. So make sure you go ahead and give them some love. You enjoy the episode? Well, please do me a solid. Please share the episode. Make sure you let Dr. Sabrin know you enjoyed the episode. Make sure when you share it, you tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. Otherwise, that's all I have for you today, folks. Coming up here on Saturday. I, I still got to get used to the whole Saturday thing. But yes, we are having one good friend of the show, and he's an assembly candidate running in New Jersey, Nicholas Magner. He's returning to the program for a one-on-one with you guys, but he's heading down to Washington, D.C. 
and he's going to be taking part in the end the damn wars i think it is rally taking place down there on september 11th talking about why it's time to end these gosh darn wars so with that being said folks make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're not missing a single time a brand new episode of the brian nichols show yes drops daily but with that being said it's brian nichols signing off here on the brian nichols show for dr murray sabrin we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening to the brian nichols show find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.